This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you once again, and we are now two weeks away from the grand reopening of college football recruiting as we used to know it. Official visits, prospect camps, all approaching on the horizon here in Happy Valley. June 1st opens those floodgates that following weekend we'll see our first official visits. We've got a lot to talk here about some of these targets. Uh, New big board is up from our very own Sean Fitz, and that's where this conversation will begin, Sean. And we have a lot to learn once we get through these next couple weeks because there are just so many variables and unknowns still in play. It's all about to change, though. I like the way you put that. There's so many variables. So um, May is kind of like, uh, I think I, I labeled it as purgatory in the recruiting world. You're just waiting here. Uh, but Elliot had a story a week or two ago about the few number of commitments that are happening right now, just because guys are waiting around. They've waited this long to see schools. So why not wait another month, get out there, camp, visit, do whatever you got to do to give yourself the information that you need to make that decision. So what's happening there is, okay, everything's slowing down, but we're going to talk out of the other side of our mouth here because things can change. There, there are camps. The Under Armour camp was earlier this month. There was a rivals camp over the weekend. So you're seeing data come out. You're seeing guys work out on film and things like that. So things can change. Boards can change even when these prospects aren't on campus. And, and what I'm probably most interested to see is guys that, you know, maybe you projected at one position uh, when you offer them last summer or in the fall, or maybe they play a different position on their film, whether that be in the, in the fall or the spring, because we're still seeing offers go out to guys who just played in, in the spring. I think it's very interesting to see the movement on where coaches are thinking that they fit into the mix, where this guy who was a DN is now a linebacker and vice versa. And this guy who's a cornerback may be a linebacker. You know, it's just that there's so many things with the absence of data. Um, there's so many unknowns there and so many variables going into what is changing on boards. And, you know, the, the recruiting staffs right now are doing the same thing we are. We're just trying to, to get our guys in a row to see which prospect is, you know, they're, they're not doing the five-star, four-star thing, but which prospect is maybe who we thought they were and which pro- prospect is all of a sudden going to find himself off of our board, their board, everybody's board, because maybe they're not the prospect that, that everybody's sort of pegged them on, on to start. You put this effort into creating all these camp lists and prospects and putting them in different tiers. And that goes all the way down to your recruiting interns who are, you know, color coding different players who you're expecting to see on camps. You want to make sure all that is coming together, uh, that you've got the updated film. Remember, they're getting a lot of film from spring ball, which is something that's new. So you're having to sort through some of those, put together uh, reels of highlights and lowlights from guys who maybe hadn't played in live action since 2019. That's all coming together at this stage. And uh, another note here is, is you know, when Penn State is able to, to get these guys for official visits or, or come in long distance for some of these unofficial visits and camps, 
uh, you got to make sure that, that that you're able to get that character assessment uh, you know, a, a pretty on point, whether it's with the player and their family or the whole collective situation, because you've been FaceTiming, you've been Zooming, get together get a good feel for each other because you may not get the other chance. Usually you get a guy on campus. He's a sophomore, junior. You'll get him back on campus a few more times a game. You got a lot of guys. We've talked about this. They're going to pack it in. They're going to travel the country in June. And then they want to make a decision sometime between July and the start of their season. So you want to get this right the first time around that, that requires a lot of attention to detail and uh, it requires some open conversations and dialogue face to face that has not happened in such a long time. Yeah. It's just, it's trying to prepare yourself for, you know, sort of the optimal finish. And, and right now, you know, you, you may see a guy that comes on an official visit or comes into camp or something like that. And you think he's, you know, maybe he's on the big board right now, even, I mean, we're trying to filter all this stuff and, and maybe project and, you know, bring into, uh, bring into account what we think is, is going to happen with his recruitment. Um, but yeah, he may, may be completely off of it by the end of June, by July, something like that. So I think that's, that's probably the most intriguing thing about this cycle is, is you've got so many moving parts and, and so many things can happen and, and guys, you know, we, we rank these guys too early, to be honest with you. I mean, we've got 2023 rankings coming out today, check them out on 24 seven sports, but yes, we rank these guys way too early. So a guy that, you know, might be in our top 100 in these early 2023 rankings all of a sudden might find himself, you know, falling to a, a group of five, no, no disrespect to the group of five schools, but might be falling to a, to a uh, spot where you didn't think was possible once upon a time. So I, I just think it's, it's, it's a cool time. I mean, you, you got to go into it with an open mind. You got to go into it, not attaching yourself to previous uh, rankings or even the rankings that are, that are happening right now. I mean, the guys that are, you know, high four-star prospects on some sites might not be, you know, it might be behind a mid three-star guy just because these coaches want to do their own evaluation. So you get big movers right now. We had a few big movers on the big board. No surprise in the offensive line. This is a guy that we talked about a lot earlier this month after the Under Armour camp, Andre Roy uh, out of St. Francis. So you kind of do a little flip-flop there with, with Jacob Allen, who we believe is, is going to commit to Rutgers any day now, um, the, the the offensive lineman from New Jersey. Um, but Roy is a guy that's really impressed the staff in the last couple of months, and you do that with with workouts at camps. You do that with, with videos of him playing basketball and, th- and things of that nature. So um, I think he's really moved up the staff's board. He's going to be on campus twice in June. And this is a guy that, you know, you're really setting your sights on. You've got two offensive linemen in the boat. You've got Drew Shelton committed down at IMG. Um, you got Malik McNeil who committed last month. Still trying to find out, you know, who the other two guys are going to be in that offensive line class. So you got Roy, of course, Ryan Brubaker still out there. We're going to talk about him a little bit later, but Roy's a guy that I think it would probably be the biggest mover on our big board this week. And the conversation uh, on the defensive line, it feels like a lot more open-ended. Uh, we'll discuss a potential, you know, uh, where Ken Talley fits in and how that could impact the conversation. But coming off of last year's class and, and now with John Scott, finally getting the chance to recruit face-to-face as a Penn State assistant coach. It's been a long time coming for him in his career here. Where do you see that target board shaping up? I know the conversation starts in that group. Well, it starts with Deny Dennis Sutton. I, I don't think there's any question. He's our number one guy. I know this is behind a paywall, but it's there's really no mystery here that he's the number one guy, not only because he's incredibly talented. I expect him to continue to move up the rankings, but at the same time, just fits everything that Penn State wants to do on and off the field. 
big, big fan of this kid, as I've mentioned several times, but defensive, the defensive line is so interesting because you've got a ton of defensive tackles on the roster. Still a lot of youth in that defensive tackle room as well. So the focus once again has to be on the defensive end room. And I think that's really interesting because you've had sort of a moving cycle, especially on the big board. So um, there are guys that get moved off and they're still on the radar guys that move back in. I moved Tyrese Fearbury up this week and I'm still kind of skeptical because you, you've got a Pittsburgh city league guy. Pittsburgh's done really, really well with defensive linemen in in the uh in the western part of the state got day on hayes i believe in the, in two cycles ago um a couple of other guys out there have really developed well um but at the same time he was up for uh for that scrimmage a couple of weeks ago i think it was late april that was the end of april yeah um and had some really good things to say and he seems like the guy that's going to check out his options before you had hayes committing um I'm trying to think of the kid from West Mifflin as defensive end that uh, he committed uh, very early before taking visits. Now you've got kind of got a chance to get out and see other schools. He's going to visit Penn State. He's going to visit Pitt. He's going to visit Auburn. He's going to visit Kentucky. Um, so I think you get a little bit more eye opening there. Still, you still like Pitt in this one, but considering what we've heard, it was enough to move him up. So it, defensive end is fascinating because there there are guys like that that move on the board. There are guys like. Samson Oak Oak and Lola that are going to move off the board. Bryson Jennings going to move off the board. Um, But those guys are still uh, just hanging around. I think that's the biggest thing when you've got such a big target board with some really good players and some players, as we mentioned, defensive end is a spot where, is he a linebacker? Is he a defensive tackle? You know, you're kind of fluctuating at different at different positions. That's one of the more interesting dynamics there is because you because you're looking for probably three defensive ends in this class. Um, guys that maybe can play a little bit sooner than the ones that you've brought in with Rodney McGraw and Davon Townley, Bryce Mostella, those guys that are long-term projects. Um, so I think it's very interesting. That that to me is the most interesting dynamic position dynamic moving forward on, on this board. And again, throw in the unknown commodity with John Scott as a Penn State coach recruiting in person on campus, something he was hired in February of 2020 to do. And here we are in, in May 2021, hasn't had the opportunity. Nakai Johnson, I believe was the name you're going for. West Mifflin High School ended up at Pitt, four-star defensive end, uh, signed with them in the last cycle uh, from that area. I appreciate that. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, now, Sean, that, I think it brings up an important point because I wrote it down here in our podcast rundown. By the way, this big board is up. It's online247.com. Should probably have promoted that right off the bat. But 20 names, Sean put this up on Tuesday. So go check that out for our VIP subscribers. If you're not VIP, there's a perfect reason to open the door and, and jump in so you can check this stuff out. But Sean, when you put this together, it's important to note, it's not just the top 20 ranked guys. You are factoring in what is a realistic possibility for Penn State, how things are trending from a relationship standpoint, and additionally, positional needs. So that all kind of leads to making your job more complicated, but I think it's important to preface a lot of this with those things. It's a very scientific formula, obviously. I'm going to keep keep that to myself, but yeah, you're talking talent, you're talking positional needs, you're talking chances that he's going to end up Penn State, you know, a Penn State player. Um, So these things, you know, kind of, I don't want to say they work themselves out, but they they work themselves around because I, I start with, you know, 35 guys and try and whittle it down. We, we did an accompanying notebook to this where I'm talking about guys that just missed the cut or guys that, you know, you could very well see on the board next month because of developments that can happen. So the, you know, recruiting as fluid as it is, it's hard to get to 20. I like to cap myself because it is, there's that's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's really 
kind of um, a, a, a mesh of the staff's board, a mesh of what we see happening, a mesh of things that, you know, Brian Doan is a, is a contributor to this and, and the other guys, Steve Wilfong, uh, you know, there's a lot of phone calls and texts that go into this. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's about that. It's also about position. Um, positional need is, is huge here. I got four running backs on this board. You got a bunch of defensive ends um, and guys like that. So um, when you take a look at the class, you know, you've got um, a couple of wide receivers committed. So maybe wide receiver, not, not as heavily in this defensive tackle, not a huge need in this cycle. So there's a lot that goes into it um, with, uh, with that, but yeah, there's a lot of names to filter through. There's a lot of information to filter through. So I do, do recommend uh, you checking that out because there's a lot more than we're bringing on here with the podcast, but yeah, a lot of movers this month. And, and I expect with June, probably even going to be more movers. And, and that's uh, I, I think that's a good thing if you're trying to finish off the last uh, 12 spots in this class or so. I'm going to throw the pressure on you right now. I'm already looking forward to that July big board because that is going to take some sorting through. Dude, we got to get through, we got to get through June 1st. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but that's going to be a shuffle. I have to imagine after commits and camps and, and well, visits, it's going to be just, we're going to be left with so much of a, of a surge of data compared to where we have been in the last 15 months. I love it. As a data nerd, I, I love that <laughs> stuff. And, and you know, July is probably going to be a very active time, not just with Penn State in terms of guys making decisions, but uh, that's another thing that that sort of the rules are kind of ambiguous to, you know, the, the common listener because you don't really think about things. So you can take official visits in June. It used to be April to June. Um, then you get your visits in there. There'd be a dead period from June 24th-ish to July 24th. And then you'd have a week where you can get lash bash in. you get some other camps in at the end of July. Well, what's different, uh, what's, what's the same and people forget is you can get those visits in June, but when it opens up in July, excuse me, you can get those official visits in June, but when it opens up in July, they're not open for official visits. So it has to be unofficials at that point. You can't take an official visit until basically the beginning of September, end of August, if you can um, work it into your to, to your season, senior season plans. Um, so I think that's something to remember. So guys are loading up. Guys are taking, some guys are taking five. Ramon Brown is taking five official visits in June, which just sounds exhausting. But mm. I mean, you've got to get what you've got to get to make your decision. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of these guys taking three, four, maybe even five visits in June then sort of settling down say okay i've waited long enough i got my visits i got the experience etc and then i'm going to make a decision in july and i think that's going to happen all over the country i think it's be very frantic in july which is you know obviously a dead period you can't have these guys on campus but that doesn't mean you can't recruit that doesn't mean you can't talk to these kids and that does not especially mean that these kids can't make decisions during that time period yeah, so you're just trying to pack so much into a short period for, for these players after such a long wait. Uh, it's it's exciting, but as you said, it's going to be exhausting for, for basically everyone involved and probably including the people who are trying to cover uh, everything going on. Um, it, just to remind our listeners of what the schedule looks like, June from the first weekend through the last weekend, you're going to have official visitors on campus. Uh, that collection will be larger some weekends than it is in others. And then you're going to have to wait a bit. You're going to have camps, by the way, every weekend in June. And then you wait a bit uh, into late July. July 25th is another underclassman showcase. And July 30th, 30th is that new addition to the schedule, a Friday Beast of the East showcase. Um, and that uh, in that late July window also, Sean, is where we we're expecting uh, the Lash Bash to, to, to pop its head up again, correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah, so a, a lot to look forward to in the next couple months. Um, Sean, when, when we kind of review this list, um, I have a question for you on, on, on out of these 20, 
who is somebody that let's say going into the spring, even just back in like February, when you look at this list and where they're situated now, you kind of scratch your head and say, wow, that escalated quickly. Oh man. Uh, well, I put in a crystal ball this week for, uh, or last week for Christian driver, the, the uh, receiver safety athlete from Texas, obviously the son of Donald driver has some connections with, with Penn state, uh, with James Franklin, especially Franklin uh, was able to coach his dad for one year in green Bay. They've kept up the relationship driver visited uh, with the team actually when they were down at the cotton bowl um, when he was down in Dallas. So that's one that, you know, you just kind of see he he's been on our big board for a couple of months, but you've kind of gotten this feeling that, Penn State is a spot that he thinks very highly of, could possibly see that. He's got an one official visit scheduled for next month, and that's to Penn State. So it's kind of a mix of what you're hearing on that end, but also reading the, the writing on the wall. Penn State is recruiting him as a receiver. I, I think he's a safety, and I think a lot of people out there, a lot of schools think he's a safety. Um, but, uh, you know, he's he's hearing good things about being a receiver. So that's one guy that maybe, you know, you look at these big boards and, you know, deny Dennis Sutton's from Maryland, or he's actually from Delaware, but goes to school in Maryland, Nick Singleton's from Pennsylvania. There's a lot of regional um, focus on here, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're still all over Florida, Texas, Louisiana, places that, you know, have a high uh, talent density ratio, I guess you could say. So driver's kind of a guy, when you're reading through the big board, you're like, oh, okay, that kind of pops out of, of not nowhere, but kind of pops, in, you know, from, from the rest of those guys that are maybe in, in the region right now. Dad was a four-time Pro Bowler, spent 14 seasons in the NFL, Green Bay Packers Hall of Famer, uh, quite the pedigree there. Um, and, and additionally, you're going to see that now where you rewrite the script for these long-distance recruitments. It's been kind of touch and go where you're connecting and you're lining up Zoom calls and you're just trying to stay consistent and stay engaged. Now you got to make your move. you got to make your pitch and, and you got to try to do it in a way that makes everyone feel comfortable. Because I do think what you're going to see, I don't anticipate it for Penn State because I think James Franklin has the foundation of how he likes to approach things. And I think he does a great job with on-campus recruiting. But I'd imagine maybe uh, for new head coaches out there who've been hired in the past year, there are going to be scenarios where guys go for official visit weekends and it just feels too pushy. It feels too fabricated. It feels too forced because coaching staffs know that the clock is ticking down on them. They might be playing catch up. I just feel like the full court press at some campuses is going to be a turnoff for some kids. Absolutely, it will be. And and that's from a from a prospect standpoint, you kind of can't let the, and I've seen a few tweets for this, you can't let the, the coaches sort of dictate the uh, your feelings on the school. Um, obviously, they're trying to recruit you. They're trying to make you feel great. But they're also probably trying to play you up against somebody else. They're trying, trying to, to play both sides of the deck. Um, that's, that's a funny dynamic that's going to come into play here. And when you've got guys who, you know, the majority of guys want to take these visits and, and, and when I say the majority of guys, Penn state recruits at a high level, let's, you know, let's say that. So we're not talking about guys who might pop up on the radar as late senior risers or guys that have to camp or anything like that. So you're recruiting at a tier in which that, most of the guys that you're recruiting or pretty much all the guys that you're recruiting are going to take official visits to comparable schools. Um, so most of those guys are, you know, going to want to see other schools. You're, you're, you know, you, you've got guys coming in the first weekend of June. Okay. If you turn up the heat, that's not going to work. These guys haven't been able to visit anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you, you're leaving with a sour taste in your mouth and then you're going to check out, uh, you know, Auburn the next weekend or something like that. And maybe you're just going to feel uh, you know, sort of shunned or sort of uh, you, you're not going to feel, you're not going to come away with a great uh, expectation. So that's why 
I'm curious to see these visits on the 18th, the visits on the 25th, what kind of feeling you can get out going into that dead period, because I think that to me is the more effective date. Now, granted, there's some great talent coming in on the on the first weekend and the second weekend, um, but I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics there because absolutely um, coaches will turn up the heat. A lot of coaches will be up front and say, hey, we've got this one spot. We've got these three guys and here's what's going to happen. And some guys will will sort of cower to that pressure and other guys will be like, no, I want to see other game or other schools. I want to take in games this fall. I want to take my time and make this decision. Well, all of a sudden that could, that could leave you off the board. So there are certainly dynamics on both sides that you can see why it's happening, but man, it's going to be fascinating to, to watch how some of these things are handled, not only on the recruit side, but on the coaching side as well. That is probably the best way if you're a prospect to determine where exactly you stand in the opinion of a particular staff is when they try to approach you about a commitment timeline, you push back with one that doesn't mesh with they want. How they respond to that, if they drop you off the, the contact list or if it's a little cool or if they say, hey, that's totally fine. We're here when you're ready. You get a really good understanding of where you stand with the staff. And sometimes it may not be the response you were anticipating or mom and dad were anticipating. They can get awkward. But the, what we're going to see sorted through in June is going to be something. And I uh, highly recommend checking out Sean's yep. big board. 20 names and, and plus he wrote an accompanying piece, as he said, uh, other names that really could have been in the mix here. Um, so go check that out. One name that was on this list, Sean. Before, before you get to that. Yeah, mom, yeah. Mom and dad are in for it this summer. Let me tell you, because that's going to be that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because you haven't been on these visits before, and like you know, unless you went as a sophomore or something like that. But it's it, it's kind of a different thing. I mean, a lot of these guys are big fish. You know, you haven't been around and you haven't gone to some of these camps. You haven't been around the recruiting sort of cloud um, that you get. You, you're getting a lot of Twitter. You're getting a lot of people following your your son to tell him how great he is, people following you to tell him that he sh- you should be sending your kid to so-and-so, uh, w- whatever school that might be. So you've kind of got a clouded judgment of how things work in the recruiting sa- uh, in the recruiting cycle. So there's going to be a lot of mom and dads that are, you know, that's going to hit them very hard. And that's not the, that's not the the healthiest thing for a, for recruitment, as I'm sure you saw when you were at Rutgers. I mean, that's, yeah. that's sometimes the hardest part is, is, is kind of figuring out that you're, you might not be the best. You might not be the number one guy on the board. Like maybe that a coach is telling you, or maybe that fans are telling you something like that. So I think that to me is another interesting dynamic when you bring these guys in for official visits, you're, it's a sell job. It is what it is. Um, and some people are equipped to handle it. And some are not. And on that drive home, on that flight home, I think it's important for families to have a conversation. What did you learn this weekend at this school? Because if you're going to do it four straight weekends or try to pack five of these official visits into one month, you better be doing your homework and, and documenting your experience because you're going to fall in love with the school. And if you go on June 4th, by the time you visit three other schools, you may kind of forget the vibe you felt. So it's going to be really important to check yourself uh, coming off of these early visits. And then by the end of this, um, I'm very curious how many guys stick with their plan to commit in the summer or say, I got to circle back and get to some, some games in the, in, in the fall. And uh, it's going to be uh, a, a lot to unpack and, and we'll continue to do that here in the podcast. Uh, one name that, that was on that list, Sean, Brian Brubaker, you mentioned him earlier with the offensive line group. He is the son of a former Nittany Lion, um, Jeff Brubaker, who was on the 1986 national championship team. He put out a top five list. He'll be using official visits to all five schools. One of those examples you pointed to just going to be all over the place in June, Penn state, South Carolina, Stanford, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, got some really impressive academic options. 
Got all Power 5 options on the table spanning different conferences. And of course, here locally, you've got that Penn State family connection. And this is a guy who was on campus just a few weeks ago to get a better feel for, for that university life and uh, posted that picture with the Lions statue. Of course he did. Uh, no, I mean, this is one of those things. I think you you look at a guy in state legacy offensive lineman and you're going to get obviously some flashbacks to uh, one that didn't go so well last cycle. But I will say this, it's not a layup. This is not one that you're looking to and and you're thinking that Brubaker, okay, just because he has so much pulling him in that direction that that he's going to go to Penn State. Penn State has some work to do here. I know he's very intrigued about playing in the South. Stanford's going to get an official visit before Penn State gets an official visit. So basically he's going to kick off June and going out to Stanford and then coming back and going to Penn State. So um, it's it's not one of those things. I know uh, J.C. Sherbert put in a crystal ball uh, earlier this week for Penn State, but I don't, I, I don't think it's, it's that close. I think it's one of those things where you're going to have to sell him like he's a typical prospect, non-legacy, non-in-state guy. So um, I, I think it's possible. I think it, it's certainly one that you can win. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not a sure thing that all the uh, backup data would suggest. Well, that's going to put a button in this conversation uh, in terms of recruiting. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the guys who just got to campus. Penn State added five players uh, to the team this past weekend. Who are they? What are they bringing to the 2021 roster? A little transfer news to talk about and our five-star mailbag to finish things off. Stay with Sean and I. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Continuing the conversation here, Sean, this is something that I didn't have on our podcast rundown, but I think you'll be okay with me bringing it up. The Auburn game being scheduled uh, for 7.30 p.m. week number three, uh, and that's in Beaver Stadium, of course. A lot of things would suggest you're going to see the whiteout setting in that circumstance. Um, any reaction as we get that one officially on the books? It's going to be broadcast nationally, uh, ABC uh, carrying the, 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 that television um, broadcast. And uh, Auburn is the first SEC program to come here to Penn State since Alabama did in 2011. I'm looking forward to it, man. That the night game in September is one of my favorite things, just because. Well, the the day leading up to it, if, if the weather is, is is holding to 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 to, to form big fan of that. So uh, yeah, I think prime time's a great time to catch uh, Auburn. I, you know, Auburn's not, I, I think they're outside of the top 30 or whatever the votes give uh, the receiving votes or whatever uh, might be, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I think it's going to be 
a tremendous atmosphere. I think it's going to be probably your biggest recruiting opportunity of the year because of the weather, because of uh, the opponent and because of sort of how everything sets up. I know that they, you've got Michigan later in the year, but you know, it it kind of gets a bit repetitive going Ohio state, Michigan, Ohio state, Michigan as your whiteout game. So it's nice to throw something a little bit different. Uh, Like I said, not officially, named the whiteout yet, but I think that's kind of the the way that it's trending. And on top of that, you see what recruits are looking to. We've got several recruits that have told us, hey, I'm taking an official visit for the whiteout. The whiteout's not scheduled, but you would rather have it in September than later in the year for when Michigan comes to town. So I think it's going to be a great opportunity. It's going to be a great chance for um, this recruiting staff to sort of get their feet wet. You know, you've got uh, you've got Ball State coming in the week before, so that's a little bit different. But that's a big recruiting weekend right off the bat. So uh, hopefully, the recruiting staff, many of which is new, is is up to the challenge. I think they will be because they you know they work these things through. And Destiny Rodriguez does a fantastic job coordinating those on campus visits. But at the same time, that's a big opportunity for them right off the bat, especially, you know, if you can get that win out at Wisconsin and you can get past Ball State, which is no slouch, then you've got an opportunity to have some momentum to be at a national level or to be on a national stage and really make things work for your entire program. Ball State was the MAC champion last season. Uh, Wisconsin clearly a major road test, but yeah, if you can get through that early stage and set this one up, you're talking about a lot of national attention. You're talking about recruits from outside of your region that will be glued into this one. Um, a big opportunity, by the way, Auburn coming into town following home games against Akron and Alabama State. So these teams are taking different roads into Beaver Stadium early on in September. And by the way, Penn State going to pay a visit to Auburn September of 2022. Uh, for the back end of this home and home. So we're excited. Uh, any, one, any, yeah, yeah go ahead. One, one more thing from the recruiting aspect you've got. So if you look at the summer official visits, not a ton of Florida guys coming up and you, you've got an opportunity for a game like that, that guys that want to check out Penn state guys that want to see the white out down in Florida might be, might be some big time guys that are interested in that. Now all of a sudden you can bring them up in September a uh, little bit different than bringing them up in November. I don't think there's any argument there. Um, so you get yourself an opportunity to bring some guys in from out of the region, show them uh, you know, that it's not snowing here 10 months of the year, as some schools would have you believe. Um, so I think that that's another opportunity for them to, to maybe get some, maybe give Jay Wan Sider, uh, you know, a couple of official visits and get, get those guys to, uh, to get up on campus because honestly, I can't, and I can't stress this enough. And this is kind of going off on a tangent. Jay Wan Sider is a fantastic recruiter. He's not going to get Florida kids to Penn State if he can't host visits. And that's been, uh, you know, we've talked about Taylor Stubblefield not being able to recruit guys on campus, John Scott Jr. But when you've got a great recruiter like Sider and you can't get those guys from Miami, from, uh, you know, different areas of that state to, uh, to Penn State, uh, for an official visits, even for unofficial visits or camps, it makes it very, very tough. So I'm interested to see how he's able to hit the ground running and sort of schedule out those things for not only the summer, but also the fall as well. And with Cider on that subject, he is also tremendous at walking into those high school hallways in so many different areas of, of South Florida and just being welcomed as an old friend uh, by, by people who are in position that, that can sway some influence on the recruiting trail. So to get Cider reactivated among other coaches on the recruiting trail is a huge perk for Penn State right now. Um, let's talk about Penn State and, and what they just brought in last weekend, Sean. Uh, the first summer semester uh, started on Monday. We're going to get the second semester in the final week of June. So you'll see uh, the conclusion of what we would expect the rest of this recruiting class. But five guys coming, four 
four uh, fresh out of high school, one fresh out of the Ivy League. Uh, that's Eric Wilson, a, a guy that out of this group, far and away, uh, most primed to go push for playing time. Got one year of eligibility coming to campus. He was an all Ivy League guard at Harvard. Did not play this past year, so he hasn't been in live action since 2019. Um, he's been on the podcast. You just wrote up on him, um, and he is really the name to know when you're assessing roster impact from, from the guys we're going to go through here. I don't think there's any question right there. I mean, you've got a guy that can come in, push to start. I'm, I, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see what what happens at that left guard position. As we mentioned, Des Holmes was kind of slotted there, and then he missed some time. So um, the opportunity's there. I mean, we've saw slightly more of Des Holmes than you saw of Eric Wilson in Penn State spring practice. And that's not, that's not good news for Holmes. So I'm excited to see where he fits. I'm curious to see, you know, is he the guy that's a plug and play starter right away at left guard, maybe play some center, maybe, you know, maybe something happens to right guard, you know, you've, you've got options now. Um, So you're bringing in a guy that's game ready. You're bringing in a guy that's that you think is pretty athletic and can fit in with the rest of your offensive line. So yeah, I, I expect him to compete. I, I, sort of hesitate to say he's going to start, uh, but I expect him to compete and I expect him to be right there. We also saw Salim Wormley involved there. As you said, no Des Holmes, uh, Anthony Wigan uh, also at, at some guard spots uh, during the scrimmage. So um, something to sort through on the left side with Juice Krugs looking good on the right. Sean, uh, going through the the incoming high school seniors, now Penn State freshmen, uh, let's start with those Detroit players. You got Kobe and Kaylin King on board for spring practice. Each of them made a strong impression, particularly Kaylin. Uh, now out of that same area, uh, Jamari Budden, a, a guy who I think was really kind of transformed the way at least I viewed him from the time when he committed to Penn State uh, toward the tail end of his junior year to where he is right now. Um, kind of slotted him as a, a hybrid a, a Sam type, the way Penn State uses those guys in coverage, uh, a guy that you're maybe going to confuse with the safety prospect. But now as he gets to campus, he has added some really impressive weight. Uh, his physical frame has been able to handle it. And, and what you saw from the physicality in his senior film, a condensed se- senior season, really think this kid can play in the box if they need him to. And I just think he's uh, you know, probably going to spend a lot of this summer and the season on the practice field cross-training in a few different spots uh, based on need and based on where Pry feels like he can really have the most impact and they can they can you know highlight his skill sets as they figure those out. Yeah, I mean, they, they cross-train those guys anyway, but I do, I agree with your assessment here that he's a guy that can probably play all three spots. Um, I, I don't see him as a Mike in the long term, but you know, it's nice to have that, that flexibility. He's, I think he's bigger than we remember him being, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty jacked up kid. Um, so I'm interested to see where he eventually lands. Um, you know, the, the depth chart obviously needs numbers. It needs guys that can play away or play right away. I don't know that Budden is that guy that can play right away, but you know, maybe you throw him out there on special teams, a couple of games and see what he's got uh, from that aspect. I think it's, it's interesting because you kind of go right down the line here. Um, the three guys that they're bringing in on defense. So you've got Budden who's a linebacker all the way. You've got Jalen Reed, who's that boundary safety slash probably eventually going to be a Sam, I would think just based off of watching him, um, based off of what he was able to do at the high school level, if you need a guy that can play, you know, that position, that, that outside linebacker position, he's probably that. And then you've got Saki Wheatley, who I'm not sure just in terms of, and, and I haven't done any research to back this up, but in terms of Penn State signing two high school safeties, I'm not sure that we've seen more different fits. You've got uh, Jalen Reed, who's a linebacker in the box type guy. Then you've got Saki Wheatley, who's a 
closer to a corner, uh, free safety, center fielder type guy, body type as well. So I think you've got complementary pieces there. I don't think either is is ready to play right away, but at the same time, you probably don't need that um, at this point with Rudolph and Jennings and those guys developing a class or two in front of them. Um, but I think it's very complementary pieces. So you kind of go right down the line. You've got that linebacker and button. You've got that safety linebacker hybrid in Jalen Reed. And then you've got that pure safety center field type guy in Zaki Wheatley. So, you know, you're adding sort of uh, versatility to the squad in terms of what you can do in that back seven. So I think you're, you're getting athletic, you're getting some length, uh, especially with Wheatley back there. So you've got, you've got a lot to like with those guys that are coming in. We've been saying for a while about how those two players at safety, Reed and Wheatley, do you know complement each other so well. And, and Reed you, charging downhill in the box. I know the comparison that Terry Smith drew on Penn State staff and something that, that we talked about ourselves when he committed last year is Marcus Allen, who has found a home for himself in the NFL, moving up a level to, to play some outside linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers this past season and kind of finding his groove. Um, obviously, very productive safety. Uh, at Penn State, extremely productive and successful safety. Uh, Jalen Reed walking into that room and, and Zaki Wheatley, um, where we have questions about some of the younger elements of this group. What is Enzo Jennings going to do at this phase of his career? Tyler Rudolph sounds like he made strides this spring. We saw that a bit. Uh, but this is a spot at safety where you, you get past the first two, three names. I, I think you probably tack on a fourth name there with Tyler Rudolph. Um, and, and there's an open competition to see who is you know rising up in that spot next. And because of of the kind of the veteran presence in this room, this is a spot where you could see a, a bit of a gap created going into 2022, where uh, these these first year players are suddenly called upon to play very big roles. Don't see it for either of them necessarily this year. I don't think you need it. I, I would hope Penn State doesn't need it, uh, but but either could really be uh, an imperative uh, positional you know um, contributor in 2022. I think I'm probably more curious to see what Zaki Wheatley can do than anybody else um, in that in that group because there's so many unknowns. He didn't play. I, I don't think they played more than two or three games this year. Um, you know, he's a good receiver, good ball skills, good athlete. He's got a lot. He checks a lot of boxes. I don't know that he's a you know an all around guy that you're gonna you know sit, compare to a Marcus Allen or something like that. But it'd be interesting to see how he's able to develop because he's got a tremendous frame, um, and I think he can run at that frame, and that's something that we. We kind of, uh, you know, get cloudy on sometimes. You got a guy that's six two, one seventy five. And we were talking about Oliver Bridges, um, you know, the the twenty twenty two corner who's probably not a corner. He's probably eventually going to be an outside linebacker. Um, can he run at that frame? It, it's it's hard to say. So this is all projection on that uh, on that end. But I'm interested to see which way Zaki Wheatley goes. You've also got Tyrese Mills um, committed in the 2022 class that'll factor into sort of the same time that they're going to be asked to develop um, from at, at that position. Uh, from those three defenders to a uh, high school wide receiver coming to town. And this is the first wide receiver addition for Penn State this offseason on scholarship. And it's Harrison Wallace. You're going to hear him referred to often as Trey Wallace. Um, and we knew about Reed and, and Budden and Wheatley a while back. They were part of that spring 2020 commitment spree. Quite frankly, we didn't really 
know anything about Harrison Wallace until his senior season. Didn't have power five offers going into last October, committed to, to the Duke Blue Devils a couple weeks later. And then things really opened up. And Penn State was one of those proactive programs that jumped in, made a push. And despite not getting to uh, have him on campus for any kind of a late official visit, they do enough to sway him away from Duke. Uh, kid, when you watch the basketball film, which we put up on Lions 24-7 not too long ago, you can understand why that factored into what James Franklin was seeing and what our 24-7 Sports Rankings Council was seeing when they elevated Harrison Wallace to a top 24-7 talent, to a four-star talent. Again, a guy who went into last October, Sean, no Power 5 offers. Curious to see how big he is um, in terms of like, is this a guy that can contribute right away? I would, I would lean probably not. Um, there's not a lot that you can tell from his, his football and basketball tapes in terms of, is he college ready? Is he a guy that can come in and be physical as a receiver? But uh, the athleticism is undeniable. I mean, you for for both those tapes, for the football tape and for the uh, the basketball tape, like what he brings to the table there. Um, see how natural he is catching the ball. Um, you know, the the ball skills show up. It, it's I keep saying the same thing, but it, it shows up on both tapes, and that's good. I mean, that's the thing that we talked about with with Tyler Warren. You see, um, you know, ball skills for a receiver or a tight end showing up, catching an alley oop, playing basketball or something like that. You see that with Harrison Wallace. He's got ridiculous explosion. Um, can he keep that together as he's going to be 190 pounds or 195 pounds? We will see how that goes in the next year with with Dwight Galt. But um, in terms of uh, a guy that can probably you don't know how actually how fast he is. I think he said what self-reported four five five. This four, is a guy four, that, five self-reported. Yep, four four five. So I mean, if that if that's anything close to it, this is a guy that can eventually test off the charts, and that would be quite a late pickup for Penn State. So still still a little apprehensive on what he brings to the table because we haven't you know you and I have not been able to see him in a game setting, camp setting, any any live setting whatsoever. But man, there's a lot to like when you when you lay the data points out in front of you. Yeah, I don't know if I'm thinking like. Uh, like a Malik Mega where you just want to say, okay, get him to campus and then tuck him away for a year, do work on the practice field. We'll see what he looks like. And this was our first time this spring to see where Mega was and still quite raw. I, I don't know if that's who Harrison Wallace is or if he is a guy who comes to campus. And by the time we roll around to speaking with Taylor Stubblefield in August, this kid has made a push and, and he's really given them something to consider. And uh, worth noting here, Sean, of course, Lonnie White, uh, Liam Clifford, the two other four-star wide receivers in this class, slated to arrive this summer. Lonnie White, of course, is going to have a decision to make with the MLB draft, but you're going to have five more guys coming to campus as members of this Penn State recruiting class. You had seven early enrollees, four more uh, this past weekend, and then the remaining five uh, that will be in as true freshmen, Sean, defensive end Davon Townley, uh, Liam Clifford uh, at wide receiver, Lonnie White at wide receiver, uh, Khalil Dinkins, a tight end out of the Pittsburgh area, and then kicker Sanders Sahadak, who, by the way, uh, number one ranked kicker in the country, I believe, by 24 seven sports that's nice to show some love to the kickers but yeah eventually those guys uh getting in i'm very curious to see this is a this is a topic that we talked about before um with with the receivers and you know this is this is a conversation we're having you know with the the thought that lonnie white's going to be playing football at penn state this fall which is still very much up in the air um it's kind of who can who can step in when we talk about the receiver room right now you're saying okay 
they're still looking at transfer wide receivers. They're still looking for a guy that can come in and, and make an impact right now. Is, is Jaden Dotton ready? Probably not. Is Malik Mega ready? Probably not. Uh, does Winston Eubanks play into the, You know, there's so many things that come into play here. Um, so it would be nice if one of those guys was ready. I, I'm very, probably more curious about Harrison Wallace um, than I am about Liam Clifford because we've seen Liam Clifford and we've, you know, we've seen some of Lonnie White. Um, so could Wallace be that guy? I, I have a hard time convincing myself he would, but man, there's a lot to like there when you, when you put all that data out in front of you. Yeah. Kind of the unknown Lonnie white hasn't played a ton of football and the football he has played has been in different spots and different positions and haven't had like, just like 15 games at wide receiver to sink your teeth into, but everything you see suggests out of those three highest eventual NFL draft type ceiling, I would say. But to me, I still say 2021 who's capable of coming in and who's, who would I put on top of that list? They're going to play meaningful snaps and catch meaningful passes here. It would be Liam Clifford for me still. I think we really saw an advancement from him as a senior in high school uh, for a prominent program there in Cincinnati with St. Xavier. And undeniably, of course, he spent the pandemic catching balls from his brother. That's going to be a factor. If he's ready physically and athletically to compete at the Power 5 level, with who's that quarterback and the trust that's in place there, it sets up pretty nicely. So that's why I tend to go 2021, Clifford, long-term, Lonnie White. Harrison Wallace, kind of a mystery man for me among this mix. Yeah, and and that's part part of that's being from Alabama. You know, being a late kid, oh, yeah. late kid on the scene. I mean, we, you know, we didn't get really a chance to to know him or anything like that. I don't think he didn't come on the show with you, so he did um, not. I'm uh, I'm very curious to see how that one develops because there's a lot to like there. But uh, yeah, receiver certainly they're still looking for dudes there, and 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 hopefully you know one, two, or three of these guys can can fill what they're looking for. From incoming to outgoing, we now know where Shane Simmons will finish his college football career. The former five-star composite prospect and five-year Penn State player will take a six-senior season after all. We mentioned in April he was uh, reversing course. Instead of going right into the business professional world, uh, he wants to finish what he started at the college level, and he will do that with uh, Marshall, uh, where he will reunite with Charles Huff. Uh, of course, Huff was on the Penn State staff when they recruited uh, Shane Simmons as a marquee member of that 2016 class and uh, two years together in Penn State facilities. Uh, a nice opportunity. And, and that's a quality program, I believe, finishing over 507 in the last eight years. Um, so Shane Simmons uh, finds his landing spot. And, and you know, I, I, this is something I would imagine he wants to use as a launch pad toward getting into an NFL camp next year. Uh, a player who in January, we thought that was it. And, and his, his days and cleats were over. And, and even if it's not, I mean, it's a good situation for him. It's a good situation for Huff to step into a program that's won a lot of games in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I judging from what we heard from Shane Simmons in December, there wasn't much that could change his mind, but Charles Huff presents a pretty intriguing situation for him. So I don't know what their depth chart looks like. I don't know if he's going to walk in and start. I don't know what's going to happen there, but that's a comfort level that, you know, I, the first thing that I thought of when, when he went into the portal to, to find a new place to play was, okay, is he going to go for Charles Huff? Or is he going to go for Ricky Ronnie? Cause I feel like <laughs> right, right. considering how gung ho he was about getting to the business world and everything like that, uh, it had to be a comfortable situation and, and hopefully it works out for them. Hopefully it works out for, for Huff at, uh, at Marshall as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see him not giving up on the dream. Hopefully he makes the most of it. Ricky Ronnie ended up with, with, with one Penn State guy, of course, Zach Coons, tight end, uh, ending up with Old Dominion this offseason. Um, quarterback has been a subject that has been brought up over and over and over again on these episodes and press conferences with James Franklin. 
Will they go get another guy? Do they have to go get another guy out of the transfer portal? And who might that be? TJ Finley, a name that popped up toward the tail end of last week. And uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, Mr. Fitz. Yeah, that's one that Penn State's tr- you know trying to get it in on. Um, it's basically uh, sort of the crux of what's what quarterback recruiting in the portal is. Finley started a couple of games at LSU as a freshman, was not particularly great, um, but really he's the best of what's been out there for a while now. So I think that that's a very interesting dynamic when you look at what's going on. I mean, you you, you compare his stats or his performance as a true freshman with who's recruiting him doesn't really match up. You've got Auburn, who I think is the favorite right now. You've got Alabama's talking to him. Penn State's talking to him. Texas is talking to him. So I think that more than anything kind of shows the the dearth of quarterback talent that's out there in, in the portal and s- sort of what you're up against when you're trying to add not only a starter, but a guy that's, you know, a guy that's going to possibly be just quality depth for you over the next couple of years. Yep, Finley, 80 of 140 passing in 2020, 940 yards, five touchdowns, five interceptions. And that's really the line on this young man right now. He was a three-star prospect uh, coming out of the 2020 recruiting class, uh, a Louisiana product as well at the high school level. Um, and a guy that that we have listed, at least on our 24-7 sports profile, at six foot six, 250 pounds. He falls into that category of a guy who does have experience, but also has a lot of eligibility, but also I don't really know what, like, how would he be sold on Penn State as a viable destination if he didn't feel comfortable being the backup at LSU? Yeah, that's a that's a great <laughs> question, and and I have no good answer to this because you you asked that same question for Auburn, who's got Bo Nix sort of entrenched as a starter that you know a lot of Auburn fans don't particularly think is is very good. Well, you can kind of say the same thing about Penn State with with Sean Clifford. Obviously, Alabama's on a different level. Texas, uh, you know, is is they've got an open job, but uh, yeah, th- there's there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense when you're talking about portal recruiting and quarterback is right, really right at the top, because I don't know that TJ Finley is going to change anybody's 2021 season. Um, but uh, I, I just, I don't know how that one's going to work out, but, but again, I think Auburn's the favorite. I think, uh, you know, location is going to come into it. I think the sec is, is a strong pull for him. Um, you know, you can transfer in the sec or you will be able to transfer in the sec and play right away. So I, I, I just, uh, it's, it's crazy to think about, how the hottest commodity. And I've said this about Sean Clifford before, if Clifford were going to the portal, he'd have a ton of schools that would be very interested. Uh, You say the same thing about a true freshman starter at LSU that started five games. I mean, that's that's kind of where we're at. I think our listening audience largely would be amazed at the opportunities presented to Sean Clifford. If he were to enter the transfer portal, he will not enter the transfer portal, but if he were to the list of schools that would welcome him, I think would surprise a lot of our listening audience uh, at this stage. You look at what's gone from the portal this year and I don't have it in front of me, but like Jack Cohn was a part-time starter at Wisconsin. Now all of a sudden he's going to Notre Dame, you know, it's a, that's one of those things that, you know, you're, you're punching at a different weight class when you're talking about being a quarterback and uh, very few situations have, uh, you know, have, have worked out for some of these guys, or excuse me, very few situations have worked out from the transfer uh, side of things from quarterbacks, but the ones that have hit, I mean, fields, obviously a huge one. Um, it gives you that hope that you can find that guy that's in there. It's just, I, I haven't seen it. It's it, Sean. Do you think that the second summer semester is essentially a hard deadline for making this happen in terms of a QB transfer pickup realistically impacting your 2021 roster? And I think that's like June 25th ish in that range is when that second semester starts. I mean, if it doesn't happen by then, it's not going to happen, is it? 
I would think not. I mean, logically, it doesn't really make a ton of sense, but you know, you're talking about somebody that's impacting your 2021 season. I don't know that you're going to find a starter right now. Right. You're not going to find it in June, not going to find it in August. Um, so I don't think that that changes all that much. I, well, I count, I would say counting QB two as impacting your season. And, and I guess, are you going to find a guy who can come into campus and, 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 feel comfortable as a QB too. Cause I don't know how comfortable, I mean, they're going to tell us that they love Taquan Roberson and they, and they're seeing things from Christian Bayer. I, I don't know how comfortable they are with QB two right now. Um, realistically, maybe they're more comfortable than, than we anticipate, but it feels like a very important role that has a big question mark next to it right now on this roster. And it beca- could become very much more important depending on how Sean Clifford comes out of the gates in September. Yeah. And I, you know, you don't know what, bringing in, you know, for example, if you do land TJ Finley, what's that do with Taquan Roberson? And I know you say, okay, yeah. well, you know, maybe Roberson doesn't seem like the future. Well, Finley may not seem like the future either. So I, I don't know that there's an answer for that. I wish there was an answer for that it would make my off season a lot more <laughs> comfortable. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there's a lot that goes on. And to me, like I'm looking at FCS guys as, as that potential guy, you know, as a senior at the FCF S level or something like that, that could make that, that work. But I, yeah, I don't have, I wish I had an answer for you there, buddy. Well, that's a topic that's going to continue popping up here on the podcast. It won't be the last time we address it, but that's the latest. Um, let's get to our five-star mailbag. The questions have been flying into Apple Podcasts. We hope you can contribute yours uh, sooner rather than later. Get us through this summer. Uh, drop your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts along with your question. can be about recruiting. can be about Penn State football. can be about stuff going on here in Happy Valley. We'll get to it when we can. And this one comes from our old friend Fitz's Burner. He asked, uh, well, first off, he says he never misses an episode. Uh, and, and but hasn't asked the question in a while. So now here's the question. The 2022 class is shaping up to be a good one, but I am concerned about one position with this class and that is linebacker. Where do things stand at the linebacker position? And I thought this was very timely, Sean, because you've got some moving parts here as we're starting to get a better picture of where guys might fit positionally from this target board. Yeah, I, I don't think that we've got a ton of answers there because you, you know, you took Ken Talley as, as a linebacker. I think it's become more and more uh, evident that he is a defensive end at the next level. And I think Penn State staff has sort of moved in that direction, uh, op, you know, sort of on the opposite side of things. You've got guys like, you know, guys like Saka and, and Keon Wiley that, you know, maybe are linebackers at the next level. And, and you don't really know that yet until you get them. You see them on campus. You see how they can possibly fill out. You see how they can, you know, you can make an argument for edge rusher, defensive end. You can make an argument for a hybrid guy, or you can make an argument as just a a basic linebacker. So I'm curious to see how that works out, especially with Wiley. I think that's probably the most interesting guy um, that I didn't have on my big board because, you know, that that could be one that sort of blows up on you because it's, uh, you know, I think he's a really good football player. Um, You've got guys out of the – out of the region, Wesley Basanth is coming up for an official visit in June. Omar Graham's coming up for an official visit in June. Florida kids being what they are, who knows what could happen there. Joshua Joseph is a guy from Georgia that they like and probably fits into that category above where is, you know, he's, he, they see him as a linebacker right now. I saw a picture of this kid last week, man. I don't know how he's not a defensive end. He's got arms that go down to his knees, uh, tremendous length there, uh, athleticism and things like that. So that's something that you're working through there. And it's a guy that's out of the, uh, you know, out of the region. So you're not going to get a look at him anytime soon. Uh, the, the familiar names are still there. Sean Murphy. Um, it, it, I, I feel like Sean Murphy 
could be a guy that eventually comes back around to Penn State because I'm not sure, you know, I think he's a five-star in rivals, but I, I don't think he's a five-star prospect. And I don't think schools view him as a five-star prospect. So we'll see what happens with other schools' boards. I know he's high on uh, LSU, Florida, some some schools down south. I know he's talking OSU, but I don't know that Ohio State has a spot for him. Um, beyond that, Jay Sean Barham, complete mystery man at St. Francis. Uh, maybe if you get an Andre Roy or something, might open up uh, a little bit there. But Barham is is a guy that's not really saying much, doing much, and that includes with college coaches. Hasn't set up officials this year. Um, I think he's fantastic. I think he's an awesome prospect. I think he's a guy that you might be able to play in that Parsons role. Uh, I think he's athletic. I think he's big. You know, he just kind of checks a lot of the same box. I don't. He's not as good as Micah was, but he checks a lot of the same boxes that Micah did as a high school prospect. And then Moses Walker from from New York is another guy. I think Penn State's trailing there. I don't know that how hard they've been pushing, but can you get him on campus for a visit this summer? So I, I think it's very it's a very good question uh, because I don't have an answer of how this is going to play out. Usually I have a pretty good idea of that. Maybe you get to camp and you see some guys that can move around and maybe you overlook them and, and on your first evaluation or something like that. We've seen that with Tyler Elsden in the past. Um, so yeah, I don't have an answer to how this is going to play out. And I agree. If you're talking about concern, I don't, I don't know if that's the, the word that I would use to label it, but very curious how, which direction this could go, because it could go a few different ways for Brent Pry in this, uh, in, in this, the remaining part of this cycle. This position of linebacker, and I, th- I think it comes up during the NFL draft conversation too, and you discuss how guys like Micah Parsons are evaluated and how that position is valued. Um, and then you look at the, the way that college coaches assess players. Is he a safety? Is he a defensive end? Is he a linebacker? It is just such a kind of a, a, a transition spot where you look at prospects. They could be on their way getting bigger or getting smaller and end up in this position. And, and I feel like there's the, the opinion varies so much school to school. Is this kid a linebacker? Does he belong in a three-point stance? Is he better suited for pass coverage downfield? And then how do you find a path to, to get him involved in your de- defense? I mean, we, we're seeing Penn State try to fit different skill sets into three different roles and sometimes two different roles on the field at linebacker. Um, there's just so much that goes into play. And I think with, with Keon Wiley, really an interesting player out of Imhotep in, in Philadelphia, you're talking about someone who, to me, when, when I when I first started to assess where where he was at with Penn State, I kind of think, okay, is this the same? Is this Ken Talley 2.0? I mean, are these guys kind of the are they undersized defensive ends? Or are they truly linebackers? Can they be linebackers? Now, Ken Talley showing that, okay, you can see this this guy can get the three point stance and 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 attack off the edge. Keon Wiley, I think you're starting to get the impression. Okay, he can handle himself downfield a bit, and and is this a, a, a way to navigate toward linebacker? And how do you handle this if you're the Penn State staff? We talked about recruiting in Philadelphia. We've talked about keeping talent in the state of Pennsylvania. Really going to be interested when he gets through his official visit period and and, and gets a chance to go face to face with the Penn State coaching staff. How they come away feeling about each other, because that's going to go a long way toward determining if Happy Valley is a place he could end up real soon and commit to real soon, or if it's a place that we're going to have to kind of put on the back burner and he's going to have to redirect his attention elsewhere. I think we have some fans on our site. It's frustrating that there's no blueprint for what a Penn state linebacker is right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've talked about that. They don't like to recruit straight mics. Well, you know, they've got Tyler Elsden on the roster, who's pretty much a, a mic. You've got Kobe King, Ellis Brooks. So you've got some of those guys on there. Um, But 
it's it, you want to get those long athletic fast guys on the edge like a Brandon Smith uh you know Parsons kind of broke the mold there you had Lance Dixon who you thought was an ideal Sam and Curtis Jake so you really look at from from a body type from an athleticism from a instincts on film type of uh you know of blueprint there's really nothing there and and I think that's probably the most interesting thing and even looking at at the guys that are on the board right now, this, they're kind of all over the place. So I, I think that's probably the most fascinating thing is, uh, you know, Penn state will find linebackers, but um, you know, y- you are kind of in that mold right now where you're trying to take athletes and make them into linebackers. And sometimes that works out really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you end up, you know, we talked about on the episode last week, Braylon Franklin and thing, you know, and Braylon Faison or Braylon Faison Walton, you know, it's sometimes that doesn't work out. Um, so I'm very curious to see what, sort of similarities, the guys that Pry will bring in probably two, maybe three guys at that position this cycle, what they're going to be able to do. Because as this game moves from being a 4-3 where everybody's in the box to a hybrid type spread them out game where guys, everybody on that field has to be able to run. That's a very different uh, sort of blueprint than what we've seen in the past here at Penn State. We're talking about a spot where you maybe contribute three of the top five or six defensive ends on this team in 2021. If that's where Luketa ends up, they were at linebacker initially with Penn State. And, and you're also talking about are some of these safeties, a guy like Jair Brown, are you going to see them engage at the second level, play in that linebacker role? There's just a lot of moving parts and, and uh, you know, there's there's blue chip talent there as well. And, and, and we're talking about some guys here and, and Keon Wiley's probably – you know, you throw in the fact that he's not the quote unquote blue chip talent. He's, he's the three-star composite. He's the three-star from 24 seven sports. Uh, 88 rating is nothing to sneeze at. That's a high three-star rating, but you know, this is a guy who doesn't necessarily uh, fit that profile with the deny Dennis Sutton of the world where, or the Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith kind of mold. So that goes in the conversation. And I think people are saying, well, is he a take at this stage? Is he is he a take at the stage? I mean, how, do we have an answer there? Do we got to get through June? Yeah, got it. I mean, that that's the thing. You've got a bunch of guys that are kind of on that line. I mean, uh, and, and number one, I don't think it matters if they're a take right now because so many guys are just waiting for June anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But this is also a cycle where we're talking about guys who are cornerbacks right now, or we're labeling as cornerbacks right now, potentially being linebackers. That's <laughs> right, that's, right. that's the data gap that's there from you know guys like Oliver Bridges, guy maybe a guy like Jaden Gold, you know who's a who's a corner for the staff, but might eventually be a, an outside linebacker. So I think that there's there's a lot of questions there uh, that unfortunately we won't be able to answer for the next month or so, but hopefully that's something that that, that comes on onto our radar sooner rather than later. It's fun to talk about because we're actually going to see this happen. Um, and, and we don't have word yet on what media access is going to look like. Our fingers are crossed. But uh, just the fact that prospect camps are rolling back into town, huge step forward for, for us and our coverage and a big step forward for Penn State. And most importantly, for these 16, 17-year-old young men to, to get their, their recruitments on track. Sean covered a lot of ground this episode. This will be our only episode this week. We're back again next week. Um, anything else to add is before we get to what looks like uh, another absolutely beautiful day in Happy Valley. Yeah, it's it, it's fantastic outside right now. It's so that awesome. may have, that may have played into us not recording yesterday. I got a nice 18, 18 holes in, but uh, yeah, I think that that's uh, that's a pretty good episode in the books, especially if you're recruiting heavy. Um, hopefully, we can get some guests on to fill out the rest of May and and into June, and hopefully hit the hit the ground running in June. 
We'll talk to you real soon. Definitely check out Sean's big board. If you have not yet, VIP subscribers can can check that out right now. If you're not a VIP subscriber, you can be $1 for one month or 30% off an annual subscription to lions247.com. Thanks as always for tuning into the podcast. We'll catch you real soon. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler. Enjoy yourself. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.